everyone. Uh, welcome to the CSPI podcast. I'm here today with a special guest. Um, this is uh, with Jonah Davids, who's our uh, communications director at um, CSPI. Uh, today's conversation is going to be sort of partly a retrospective on what we've done in the last year, partly telling you a little bit about Jonah and a recent essay he wrote about why he left academia and why maybe you should too if you're also if you're also in academia. Um, and then sort of just some discussion about you know where we are where we've been, what we've done, and what we're going to do in the next year. So uh, this, we're recording this on December 30th. Um, we're, pro- we're probably going to release it in the in the coming days. So it's end of the year. So it's a good time to reflect on, on what's going on, our accomplishments, and sort of uh, you know, double down on what's working, um, discard what's not working, and, and move forward. So with that said, Jonah, how are you today? I'm good, Richard. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I think, you know, even your story, I think, is sort of valuable to tell because you were um, just a guy when you reached out to me. You were, you were, what were you? You were an undergrad, right? Yeah, I think I was an undergrad in my third year, maybe fourth year. Um, Uh Just a normal undergrad at a, you know, not well-known university or anything like that. Just reached out to you because I saw what you guys were doing at CSPI, the the, uh, you know, kind of stuff focused on institutions and also the political psychology stuff just, you know, seemed right up my alley. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, reaching out to people and just trying to talk to them is is under is underrated. So, you know, it's funny because I, I, I used to reach out to people before I sort of, you know, now I reach out to people, people will always respond because I have a little bit of notoriety. Um, but before I was anybody, which was not that long ago, which was, you know, a year or two ago, I was just some rando. Uh, I would reach out to like academics, like random academics. And often they wouldn't respond, right? But then like Steven Pinker and like Jonathan Haidt would respond. So I had email relationship with them uh, before I, you know, before I was a public figure. And I found that the people who actually are most busy, who you think would have least time for you, are often um, the ones, it's just the opposite. You know, they're, they're successful because they are so outgoing and, you know, energetic and, you know, they, they give of themselves. Robert Jervis, who I worked with Columbia, was like this too. He just, he just recently uh, passed away, but he's one of the, you know, probably the most influential, uh, was the most influential person in international relations. Um, you know, he was always generous with, with his time. I worked with him at Columbia. Uh, Richard Posner, who's, um, you know, I think, I think the, the most cited federal judge in, uh, his, in uh, history, I, I reached out to. Uh, I brought him to an event at the University of Chicago uh, Law School when I was there. So he was always uh, generous with his time. His son, Eric, was my was my professor. I knew him, too. Um, the professor's a little different. Richard Poster, I was just reaching out to him. So basically, you know, famous people have always, you know, uh, on a per-person basis, famous people have always responded to me uh, and given more time and, you know, interest in my work, even before I was anybody than, than non-famous people. So reaching out to people is underrated and I think you should do it. And I think Jonah did that and, you know, it's, he was able to come on and start working for us. Is that, do you have anything, uh, any thoughts on that, Jonah? Yeah, I totally agree. Like, um, I mean, something, sometimes people will tell you that university, they'll be like, if you like an academic, you know, reach out and write to them. Um, but it's something that just like, I've always done, you know, even before I met you, I had like correspondence with Eric Kaufman. I think I talked to Robert Plowman a few times. Um, just, yeah, it's like, cause I'm curious, I've got questions and they want to, you know, actually answer them. So that's, that's good. You know, I think people think uh, I'm not even worthy of this person's time yeah. uh, until I've got, you know, X credential or until I've written X number of papers. And it's like, 
No, yeah. like if you have an interesting question or perspective or something, or even if you just want advice, I mean, people love to give advice, right? So ask for some advice or something. It, it you know, usually works out and then you can, you never know, right? What opportunities will, uh, will come of it. Yeah. Right. So you, so yeah, I mean, people have reached out to CSPI. We've done work with them just on, uh, just on, you know, random sort of reaching out. I mean, if you've got interest, something interesting, don't, uh, I think uh, a good thing the internet does, I, th- I think, uh, you know, this, the, the culture of CSPI, which is sort of the culture of, uh, I think you know, a lot of different people like the rationalist community bloggers. Um, this is a sort of a Silicon Valley thing too. They're just more open to, you know, the, the, there's less concern with formality. There's less con- uh, concern with sort of hierarchy or status uh, or, or climbing. I mean, if you have people who are genuinely interested in, in ideas and truth, you know, they just naturally care less about that stuff because, you know, they know there's not a, you know, perfect or maybe even a very good correlation uh, between, you know, people's status and then the quality of their, their ideas, which is one of, one of the things, you know, we keep, uh, we keep going back to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so that, I mean, this, this has worked out. You help with CSPI, you help produce the podcast, you edit, you edit our work, you know, we, we're, uh, you help sort of make this, you know, help this operation run. Um, and, you know, and other people have reached out and they've also, you know, done work for CSPI. So anyone, you know, who's interested in, in what we're doing or thinks what we're doing is cool, you know, just, just reach out. There's, there's nothing to, uh, you know, there, there's, there's no loss there and something, something good might come of it. Um, so you're a, you're a Canadian, right? Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Was it Toronto? I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. That's where I am now as well. Okay. And so to tell us your, you know, tell us about your decision because your essay got a little bit of attention and I think it's, you know, I, I went through, you know, I just, I finished my PhD recently in 2018 and, you know, I, you know, I don't, nobody likes to say they, they regret it. Like they regret, like there's a sunk cost fallacy, right? But yeah, I, I think I should have spent less time in school. You know, I, I'll just, I'll just admit that. <laughs> I think I spent too much time in school and I think I could have been doing what I was doing earlier. And so I think it's important to sort of communicate that, that message to people. So uh, can you tell a little bit about your story, why you decided to go to graduate school and why you sort of soured on it and how? Sure. Um, well, like I did my undergrad at Ryerson University in Toronto here. Um, and uh, I studied psychology just because I've always been really interested in sort of people, why they do what they do, why we're all so crazy and miserable and, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, when I first started, I was really into like therapy, like mental health and that kind of thing. And as I like started studying it more and more, I just realized like, oh, like almost everything is kind of a placebo. Like most of the science and stuff behind this is really just stories. And uh, that kind of got me more interested in like the sort of how and why of social science. Like, why do we spend so much time reading books on it and thinking about it and doing it? And like, is it actually any good? Is it worth anything? And so I, I kind of had those kinds of, you know, thoughts and doubts kind of bubbling up under my, under, or during my undergrad, um, you know, really interested in the replication crisis and open science and all that stuff. Um, but I thought, you know, as a person who's kind of like interested in social science and understanding, uh, you know, social research, I sort of thought, okay, well, the only thing I can really do is go to graduate school. Right. There's no like job I can get uh, at a place that's going to sort of tick those boxes. So, you know, I did a lot of like work uh, RAing, uh, you know, being a research assistant and that kind of thing. And then I got into graduate school at the University of Amsterdam, which is the program I was in was communication science. And it's like the number one ranked place in the world, you know, which I, you know, I'll admit like that really got me. I was like, whoa, I got into this number one ranked place. That's amazing. Right. Um, you know, the Harvard of, uh, of communication science. Um, 
so I went there. Does Har- Harvard have a communications? If you got to actually Harvard for communications, probably, probably not. <laughs> okay. I mean, there probably there, there, there probably are people there who like study, you know, political communication or whatever. But I I don't know. There's if not a communications PhD, or there if there is, it's not as good as University of Amsterdam. Apparently not. I, I know UPenn has like a joint uh, political science communications PhD, which I think is is maybe like the more maybe, I don't know, well-respected in the U.S. Uh, at least. But in terms of the world, I actually think it's fair to say that University of Amsterdam, there's a lot of, you know, strong communications researchers who kind of pass through there or, or work there. Uh, and it's I think it's probably one of the, the more famous departments in that world um, for a number of reasons. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, was like, okay, great. So I, I went there and just within like the first couple of weeks or whatever of being graduate school, like something just felt really off to me. Uh, you know, the first thing I kind of noticed was that the other people around me who were my friends, and some of them still are my friends, um, you know, we kind of had a similar story, which is like all of us were smart people interested in what makes people tick and uh, and communication and politics and, and that sort of thing. Um, but none of us had like a very good idea of like why we were there. You know, like it's not it's not obvious what a, a degree in communication science gets you in life. So, uh, the, the, so the, the, when I was in my program, I mean, there was an obvious answer. We all wanted to be professors because we were studying for the a PhD, but that wasn't what they were. That's not what the University of Amsterdam was, right? The ma- no, I mean, there were, there were a few people there who were like, I want a PhD. Yeah. And I was actually one of those people because I was like, yeah, that's why I'm here too. I'm going to do this and I'll get a PhD. Yeah. Um, but the more I kind of thought about it, like that's not really answering the question why you're here. It's deferring it. You know, you're, you're basically saying like, okay, I know at some point I want to do some kind of research or whatever, uh, but it's going to be, you know, years and years from now. And until, yeah, then, but that's an answer though. I mean, if you're going to get, if you, you know, you're going to get a PhD and you want to be a professor, you want to be, that's a goal, right? Well, nobody said, people I talked to didn't say they wanted to be a professor. Maybe I should have clarified that. Yeah. It was that's, just like, I want to get yeah. a PhD. Um, I don't right. think I met anybody there who actually wanted to stay in academia. Maybe one. Okay. So these people just wanted to keep, Okay, because this is different. This is different from I studied political science at UCLA. So I, the assumption was everybody who was there for a PhD wanted to get an academic job. And you're saying that these people were thinking in terms of either completing their master's or getting a PhD, but not not necessarily becoming a professor. I think so. Like I definitely did not do did not do not want to be a professor. And most of the people no. I met there, I mean, a lot of them were like just people who were like, oh, I just need this. I'm just going to do this and it's my next credential. You know, I studied communications in my bachelor's. Now I'm getting a master's and either that will somehow lead to like a job. Maybe they thought, or they're just, well, is it sometimes it's explicit, like in the, in the U S like when you're a teacher, like the, 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 you, you would get like a master's and then they'll give you like a raise or like, you'll have some promotion. Sometimes it's very explicit. Like yeah, but there's nothing the like that. I don't think there's anything like in, if, if I'm wrong, someone tell me, but I don't think there's anything like that in the world for a degree in communications. Like I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think you there's. Can any imagine reason. some stupid government where it's like, if you have a master's, we just bump your salary. I mean, I, I, that's not that's believable to me. Yeah, I mean that's that's possible. So the idea just being like, if you are, if you have one up in the credentials or whatever, you get one up in the salary. Yeah, that, yeah. that's cer- that's certainly possible. Although, again, like when I talk to people, no one said that to me. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's possible that was. So a they were just clueless. They were just like. Uh, just, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, mean, people say, why are you saying it? It's because I'm interested in, in this, or I, I yeah. you know, it's, and so it just sort of seemed like. Yeah, you can watch a YouTube video, right? If you're interested in something, <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's not an answer. Yeah, and um, 
so so that was sort of the first thing and and there were also people there where it was like it just didn't even make sense i mean i i, I met a person there who that was their second master's degree in communication science uh yeah. you know a, a, a bright <laughs> guy but i was you know so something just sort of felt a little bit off i would guess uh yeah one thing is interesting you told me this was an internet this was like a very international can you talk about sort of the the backgrounds of the people you were with yeah i would say like about half of them were probably chinese um and half i think yeah. i think maybe there's uh and also some koreans like so so maybe there's in in those countries more of a a need for those degrees or something it was just certainly possible or just the idea of communications is more valuable i think it's just um, the idea of staying i just think the education trying to get as much schooling as possible is sort of the idea i don't think it's necessarily communications it might be and it, it's just it was so interesting to me you know I, I met people there who had been journalists or had worked at you know top companies and stuff and they're back in school you know yeah. after like working actually in communications for years or, or back in school getting you know like their second degree or whatever and uh um, I don't know. I mean, I think there are, you know, good justifications for getting a degree. One could be just you are super passionate about a topic. Another could be it's going to get you some job or you want to be a professor or something. Um, but I honestly, you know, my evaluation was really just most people were just kind of there to be there and uh, hadn't really thought about it too much. You know, this just seemed like the logical next step. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So you got there and, and well, yeah, what else? I mean, what else? So the people just didn't know what was there and... Like, what about the, you know, the sort of the kinds of learning? Because this is, you know, this was very interesting. You would think, I think that like some people think uh, in academia, like, okay, you're losing some things. You're losing maybe the ability to uh, make more money or you're losing the ability to sort of, um, you know, um, whatever. Maybe you're sacrificing something for, for political you know, reasons. You can't sort of express yourself as openly as you want in public life. But I think the, the payoff is you're supposed to be able to explore truth. You're supposed to, you know, find something true about the universe that doesn't necessarily have a directly, you know, instrumental uh, application, like, you know, something that, so something that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in the private sector. No one is going to hire you to, to, you know, discover the causes of World War II or, or whatever it is. Um, and so, like, that was my thinking in academia. Was it yours? And sort of how was your experience, you know, different? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, maybe in some sense, like, I'm kind of a practical person. So I'm always interested in, like, why are we doing this? What is the point? Uh, you know, so, like, does this have some instrumental value? Uh, but I also am, you know, also just curious about, like, why is, you know, why are things the case? Why do we act the way we act? Um, but I, I definitely felt like the stuff that we were learning or being taught just didn't have really either kind of value in the sense that it was like not instrumentally useful. You couldn't really use it to predict anything or to like, it, it didn't, you know, the, the literature on political communication stuff, like did not seem like it would be useful in a political campaign. It seemed mostly yeah. to be kind of, you know, like, Oh, if you, uh, you know, if you like posted about a protest on social media, there's like a 10% chance uh, that you're more likely to go like, like stuff like that, where it's just like, you don't need a degree to know that. And yeah. someone didn't need to write a paper on that. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the more descriptive stuff, like that was actually, I felt totally missing because I think there is sort of value in say like a really clear description of institutions, how they operate, how the organizations and structures kind of go together. But that was just like totally absent. Like nobody really talked about or cared like how the media actually works, who works in yeah. political media, you know, how you get a paper published. 
So it's like, it's like the, I mean, it's like the drunk looking, looking under the lamppost for, for the keys. So like we can do a survey with just like people, we can have a, you know, a group A and group B and give one of them a treatment and, or do a survey and see how they, you know, so we're focusing on individuals and then we could say something about them. We could say, this is difference between conservatives and liberals or people interested in politics, people not interested in politics or people who receive this treatment or that. And so we focus on that. I think this is, you know, it sounds like what's happening in communication, but I think this is also part of political science. And then we just sort of, but then we like, is that important, right? It's, that's not how the world works, dividing people into two groups and then giving them a treatment, right? There's like a, a dynamic. So like, if you look at like how conservatives think or how liberals think, there is, you know, there's messages from the top, but there's like social media, people talking to each other, there's polarization where people are reacting to the other side. Um, and, you know, whether people get involved, it's also complicated. And so we just study like these individual, you know, you know, these pe- humans and in isolation it's like studying the atoms you know of, and trying to understand like you know how it rains it's just it's just it's it's not it's like yeah it's ultimately rooted in atoms right um but that's just not the right sort of level of analysis and i feel like yeah i feel like this is a problem with political science definitely in political science too like i'm more familiar with the kind of political behavior stuff and political psychology and an issue i think what it really is is like I mean, it's, it's, it's so baked in at this point. It's in the language we use, you know, we'll say, well, group, you know, liberals are more likely than conservatives to do something. And we like, don't, we rarely ever talk about how much more likely, um, you know, a good example is there was this like study going around recently that was looking at, I think, um, you know, racial discrimination in emailing or something. Uh, and, and like, you know, they sent out, I guess, thousands of emails to different people and they, they changed whether the sender was appeared to be black or white or whatever. And like they did find, you know, evidence of racial discrimination, but it was like a tiny amount. It was like a couple hundred emails of like tens of thousands sent. And yeah, yeah. when you look at how they write about it, they say, well, you know, there's it's, they're more likely to be discriminated against. Yeah. And this language of more likely is just it's everywhere and people yeah. don't care about the actual amount at all. Yeah. I mean, I looked at the I looked at the. Uh... Yeah, I looked at the thread of the person and I looked a little bit at this paper. It's so funny. It's like, this is called, he called it paper cut racism. It's like, maybe this is not huge, but it's just like, you're just, you're facing racism. So you're, you're having a million paper cuts. And that's why, you know, you're, you're poor and you have, you know, discrepancies between groups. So it's just, just, you know, a story that's, that's made up. It's not proven, right? It's just a story. You found this tiny difference. And I'm sure you look, I want to go back and analyze this data. Somebody should do this if you're listening. I want to see if there's a male, female difference. You know, I, I would guess I would guess there's some difference. And if the difference was in favor of males, they would have reported that. So the fact that they weren't emphasizing this makes me think the, you know, the advantage was for females. Um, Cause you know, no, no difference is probably unlikely in a big enough sample size. So somebody go back and look and see if there's a female advantage. Maybe I'll do it by the time this is, this is out. And you know, the, and so, so it's very stupid and you could have done different races. You could have done like Chinese and you could probably find that. And guess what? Chinese are much richer and better educated than white Americans. If, you know, there's the 0.1% chance their email doesn't get responded to, um, you know, uh, you know, they, it, what if they were white? That apparently did not hold them back and society still functions, right? So it's, there's so much going on here. This is, you know, this, like this one, this thing is obviously so political. You know, what they want to believe and they build these mounds of research based on, uh, you know, the, the narrative. Um, well, the narrative is correct. Like, I think... I think fundamentally social scientists are really storytellers or at least most of them, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Like what they really like to do is they like to have some kind of story or narrative or something. I don't mean that in a cynical way. I just mean like, 
but the story is yeah the story is good but you should start the story is actually we should spend more time debating the story actually than like this whether you know emails you know there's a little percent chance that you're gonna because yeah the, the story that groups their outcomes are determined by you know small acts of discrimination as they go through life you know, I think that's a that's a terrible story. I don't think that's very logical. And once you once you don't buy that story, you don't even do the email thing because it, like it doesn't matter. Like who, who cares? You know? Hmm. Yeah. So like, if if the story is is you know a certain way, or if if like society tells a certain story about something, which you know we have a million stories. Like I think what you end up have happening is you've got you know a group of people who believe some story or want some story to be bigger. And then they, you know, they do these studies and like the truth is, you know, if, if you're trying to do a research project on some social thing, like you can look in your, you know, you can Google or look in the library or whatever, like you can find evidence that kind of supports everything. Like yeah. this is not true for every subject per se, but for most things, you know, things just point in different directions. It's all over the place. And so when you have that kind of body of knowledge on like most topics, you're just really going to end up with, okay, whatever sort of matches the story or helps me tell a better story. Like that's the evidence I'm going to choose my own studies. I'll design in this way. Yeah. And then I'll just frame whatever results I get, you know, that, that, that racism email study could have been framed in the story of like, you know, actually there's very little discrimination and even what there is, you know, isn't that big a deal or whatever. Um, I'm like, just whatever way you frame it is, is yeah. really I mean, but you, but you, and it's sort of, you know, the results beforehand. So nobody does the study where like you send identical, uh, you know, identical um, SAT scores to a university and see who gets in because we know what the results would be. It's, the results are going to be, you know, black people have a massive advantage relative to white people. And you can, and, you know, so like sort of like, yeah, there, there's like such a universe of like things you could test. And often you know what the answer is going to be or you have like some idea and then you're just doing the stuff that will support your story. But the big story, right, the, 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 the narrative, the narrative, you know, the narratives, that's what we should be debating. And and we can't because it's sort of like it's a, uh, you know, it's it's if you know they'll say you're, you know, you're ignoring the data because they have all this you know quote unquote data, which is you know based on you know them framing the question and looking exactly where they want for you know to get the results, um, and then it's sort of seen as unscientific. If you're a blogger, you can just say I have a theory about the way the world works, but if you're academic, it's like oh no no you need your, uh, but 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 it's, but it's like it's like so what if it's like it's better I think to investigate things that are, you know, it's harder to prove than to, you know, quibble over things that, that don't matter. And you need to, you need to really think carefully about whether the things you want to study or the things you're looking at or the data that you're analyzing actually matters. Um, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's no, like, there's no neutral social science. So some people are like, Oh, so, you know, take politics out of social science. Like, I don't agree with that. I don't, I, you know, the, you can study anything you can study like, you know, uh, how, you know, the, the, the speed that your fingernails grow based on what country you live in or based on your ancestry. No one does that because no one cares, right? There, there has to be yeah. some relevance uh, to, to humanity, to, to, you know, to, to progress or explaining the world or, or something. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, it can't be apolitical or free of values. But, you know, I think the problem with academia, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, it's just the, the values and the narratives are just wrong. That's it. I mean, that's it. They're just wrong narratives. And we need narratives, but they should be true narratives. Yeah. I, like, if I, you know, somehow had magical powers and I could sort of set up academia any way I wanted, I mean, I would basically make it be about mostly just trying to find, like, null results and, and categorize them. Because, like the truth is that there are all of these narratives uh, out there about how the world works, how we work as people, how institutions work. And like almost all of them are probably wrong. And 
the truth, like, especially the ones that, uh, you know, get a lot of attention because they're so crazy, right? Which is like kind of shown by the replication crisis, how the stuff that, uh, uh, you know, fails to replicate is often the sort of crazier, most interesting stuff. So like, I just think there's a lot more value in sort of selectively saying, okay, what is the narrative? And then just trying to like show that it's false uh, consistently, you know, and there's great books that do this. Like one of my favorites is, I think it's Hugo Mercier or Merce, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, probably Mercier, uh, you know, Not Born Yesterday, which is just like all about how like persuasion like largely doesn't work in the way we think it does. You know, political ads don't work well. Most ads don't work well. People can't just be duped into things. And, you know, if you read the book, like it gets boring after a while because it's just him going through all of this data, just being like, this isn't how you think it is. This is how you think it is. None of these things matter. People are just making their own decisions for the most part. And, uh, you know, that book, I think, did get some attention because it was really well done. But I think most social science should just be like that. It should be like, okay, what is the common narrative? And then, like, is there any is there any proof at all that X actually does correlate with Y or X does cause Y? Because it's like most of the time, like, it's just really not there. Yeah, I mean, but it might. I mean, everything affects everything because, like, you know, it's like, yeah, I give you a message. It's going to have some effect on you. It can't have zero. Like, zero is not possible. And maybe it's significant. Maybe it's not. But it, but I, I think that the thing is most things are small. I don't think most things are zero. We can't, you can't prove they're zero because just, like, you know, zero is, you know, hard to achieve because, any, you know, anything is going to, you know, have an influence on you. It might be negative, right? You might do this advertising and a person might not like it, but zero is... Very unlikely. Is that is, is it true that basically what's the latest research is, is does advertising just not work? Is, is that what people is that what people think now? I think yeah. I mean, if you look into it, it's a little more complicated. Like some studies show like a non-linear relationship where you know the first couple times you see the ad, it's better, and then you get bored of it or whatever. But what I what I took away from his book was just like for the most part, you know, these things like don't work well. They don't work systematically. Uh, obviously there's always going to be an effect and everybody's different, right? So you can have individual differences. Maybe one car ad really appeals to you and not to me. Um, but for the most part, you know, the, the message I took away from his book and from some other research I've read is just that like companies way, way over invest in advertising. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the kind of classic, like, um, Edward Bernays sort of way of thinking about ads and propaganda and persuasion and stuff is like, is just totally wrong. Yeah. So mad men, they were not doing, they were not doing real science. They were just yeah, sitting there. Not. And, you know, it doesn't mean what they, what, the, what people like that do uh, or don't do is an art. Like, it, there's still an art to that. There's an art to design. Um, but I think social science doesn't really acknowledge that. It's just like, does this, does this work or not, which is fine. If you want to get into what is a good advertisement or a good message or whatever, like, that's almost, to me, separate from, yeah. like, whether, you know, it... So, um, if it's, um, uh, so is it... Is the objective quality? I mean, is Coca like Coca Cola, right? So Coca Cola is popular. Is it just to taste good? I mean, do is there just more to the objective, sort of the competence of like you know, fulfilling your uh, you know fulfilling your purchase orders and like having logistics to like you know get your product out there, plus the product being good. You know, that's sort of like an optimistic message about capitalism, isn't it? I think so. I mean, that, that's Coca Cola is just good. I mean, it's just good. Pepsi is good. I mean, people people like it. Yeah, yeah and then, you know, maybe it gives you diabetes, but you know it has it brings you pleasure at least, like like most things people buy. Yeah, and then you know part of it is also brands, right? Like even if like I, I think when they do like taste tests, people can't really tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. No, Pepsi. I've, I've heard Pepsi wins. You could tell the really? difference. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, there's. I think I heard Pepsi wins, but Coke is more okay. popular. Actually, yeah, that's interesting. But you know that shows sort of maybe the power then of brands as well, right? Which is do people like it? Do they know it? What do they associate it with, right? Like Coca-Cola gets associated with 
uh, you know, throughout the years, like lots of different things from, you know, Santa Claus. Yeah, this to- was actually, this was funny because this was, there was a Pepsi ad campaign, I think, where they highlighted this. And so I always liked Pepsi. I diet Pepsi, you know, because, uh, you know, cause red, but uh, this makes me feel good about myself because I, you know, I'm not influenced by, by Coke is supposed to be better, right? Uh, so yeah, there was something called the Pepsi channel, ch- challenge. So Pepsi went around promoting and trying to show people that if you actually drink, so Coke wins and the brand wins or the advertising or like the label, whatever the design, but how do you get, I mean, how do you get the, um, how do you get the, uh, uh, how do you get it in the first place? How do you get the, uh, the, uh, uh, like the, the brand name, how, how does that become popular? Is it sort of a thing where you have to, if it's established once it's established, it doesn't matter. Or is it like, uh, you know, is it just sort of more random and, you know, the, 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 never, the advertising never matters. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably like what, what, what comes first and then, you know, what kind of gets in there first probably makes a big difference. Um, I don't think the argument is that the advertising doesn't matter at all, but I think it's more like the advertising is showing people a product, which they like either will like or will not like. And people yeah. quite quickly after they try the product or see other people try the product, like get a sense of that. Uh, so you can have the best ad for the worst product. And for the most part, you know, it's people are, people just aren't that persuaded by things, um, uh, in that way. Um, now maybe that's not true for everything, you know, I'm sure like there are, there probably are certain ads in history, right. That have been really successful and really pushed a certain product or gotten people to buy something. But again, I think it's like, it's not in a systematic way where you can necessarily copy what that ad does and then like use it in your own ad. That, yeah. that, that's my takeaway at least. Because it's like yeah. the ad it comes at a certain time, a certain place, shown on certain channels. Um, you know, it's it's not a systematic sort of thing. Yeah. So when so when you when you back to like your story in academia. So when you left, I mean, how how did people respond? Were there was there any sort of because there's a sort of, sort of stereotype in uh, American uh, academia where like if you're a PhD student and you decide to do something else, it's sort of seen as a failure. Like people in academia think like academia is the only thing that that matters or the only thing that's valuable. Like how did your you know a student, fellow students and, and professors uh, respond when you, when you left. And this was recent, right? When did you, this is not like yeah. something that happened years ago. When was, when did you leave uh, uh, graduate school? I think like I actually left in October or maybe November, but I was okay. kind of like, I was not going to classes and stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, you, you were playing hooky. Well, you know, my family, like, were pretty supportive my dad is also a grad school dropout he dropped out to start his own business so he, uh-huh. he kind of understood yeah. um the other people in the program were sad you know because like i think i was like one of the people who actually like seemed to care the most about what we were doing and would get really into the literature and read everything and criticize it and uh you know it was fun to debate um but you know like my best friend in the program at the time he said yeah you know i get why you're leaving like you don't seem to respect any of this uh, you know, you're you're reading these papers and criticizing them and you're sort of asking these very skeptical questions and, you know, it's just probably not the right place for you. And I said, yeah, you know, that's about right. Um, but no, I mean, nobody uh, saw me saw it as a failure. I think they were more confused because they were like, you've talked about social science and academia constantly for the last couple of years. Why would you so suddenly just, you know, like switch? And I think the reason it was so sudden for me is because, you know, the school I went to for my undergrad was not like a... Uh, it wasn't like a famous school or necessarily considered a good school uh, by any sort of quantitative measure. I think it's, it's quite low. So I kind of imagined, okay, I'm going to go to something place, someplace more prestigious. The methods will be better. Like everything's going to be better. Uh, you know, 
just kind of the view that everything is better one one step up. Yeah. Uh, and then it just wasn't. And I was like, okay, if it's not really going to get better, then I don't want to stick around here. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I think that that's, that's right. I mean, it does, you know, it's, um, yeah, but how about the, how about the professors Were the professors like, do they have anything to say? Do they try? I feel like they have like an incentive not to sort of feels like this could lead to like some kind of domino effect. Where like the next person is like, hey, this is stupid. Jonah left, and then the next person does, and then they have nobody in the program. Did you ever get the ever get the feeling that that was that was a concern? Yeah, I I actually kind of sense that. Like, I'm not that confrontational a person, so I was like, I didn't try and make a, a big fuss about it or anything like that. Um, the professors weren't like sad that I had left or whatever, but they were just more like, you know, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it. Um, and uh, I didn't want to like say to their face all the stuff I'm I'm necessarily saying. Um, just because like I've had those conversations with professors and people before and like I genuinely kind of feel bad for them. Like, because I think they feel stuck in all this stuff too. And just like, this is all they know. <laughs> but you should, I mean, I, is that, is that, is that a good way to look at it? Because they're uh, like, okay, so I went to, I went to law school. I went to university of Chicago law school, which is probably a good investment for most people who, you know, who can go to university of Chicago, but it, without a question, like if you go to a lower length law school, I think it's, it's a pretty bad idea. I think there's something like twice as many JDs graduating each year as there are available. And, you know, it's like this in academia too. There's many more PhDs in their jobs. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a school at the bottom, you know, people are not going to find a job that they're training for. And sort of, I feel like what kind of, like what kind of person you have to be to sort of know you're like doing that right to be involved in that to like be teaching at a university and like you're stuck too like all you did was get a you know a degree and now all you can do is like encourage other people to get a degree um but there's still something immoral about that it's your i don't feel sorry for them i still think they're i feel like people doing that are doing something wrong i mean i don't totally disagree i think it's a little more complicated just because i think they see their role as also well i'm an educator or i'm giving people skills. And like, I certainly myself, you know, benefited from some of the people who yeah. uh, took me under their wing, professors in, in undergrad. I'm very grateful to them for, you know, like getting me to learn R and, and, and basic things like that. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's my, my, my experience has been challenging people on this stuff. We're trying to talk about it. Uh, doesn't necessarily lead anywhere. People don't just say like, Oh yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, it's, it's, I should just quit my job and you guys should all quit their job. Like, I think people are pretty locked in and, uh, you know, in various levels. I mean, could it be worth it for someone like myself to, to make a statement or something? Like, probably. I'm just temperamentally not that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, to do that, maybe. I mean, I've had a few experiences where I think I've given people like honest advice on something and they've, they've changed like something fundamental. Um, like all I can think of now is a silly example with a girl with like a haircut, and that's that's all I can think of right now. But but I I I, I know there's I know there's something in my past that's a little more substantial about that. But yeah, no haircuts are are important. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I think yeah, sometimes we can actually. I think we can. I've, I've made I've influenced people's political views. I you know I think pretty uh, pretty substantially. Uh, people I've known. Uh, but that's you know that's not like changing your career or something. So that's like a little bit less uh, directly related to you know self interest. Um, yeah, well, the, another thing, I mean, another interesting aspect, you know, that of your academic career that we've talked about, and I think we should, we share this view on is, you know, you, you write, and you write this in your essay, there was no, like, 
you know, it's just sort of setting the, you know, the, uh, the background for people. Like I'll have people who like talk to me and say, you know, I wanted to like this tweet, but like, you know, I am a, you know, I'm an academic and, you know, I'm so scared. And it's like, you know, people under their own names in business and academia and all kinds of things like, like my tweets. And I've never heard of anybody getting in trouble for it. So maybe they did. So like, but a lot of people I think are very, very cautious, especially in academia, you know, they're afraid of saying the wrong things. I mean, CSPI, uh, you know, has, you know, is a little bit, you know, is not afraid of controversial issues or, you know, taking, taking people on, but you, you said, you know, you worked for us while you were, um, while you were getting your uh, uh, degree or while you were studying in grad school. And you, one thing you said is there was no ever hint of like political discrimination or like, you know, people were like, didn't like you for your views or what work you were doing outside of it or anything like that. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Is that, well, is sure. that I mean, and, and yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, like, I think the truth is um, that the kind of level of like, you know, conservatives or right-wing people or whatever getting discriminated against uh, it's probably different place to place. Like the place where I did my undergrad was like super, uh, super left wing overall. And, you know, I had professors say just crazy things. And it was like kind of controversial to say, you know, there's only two genders yeah. or or in a, cl- in a class, in a psychology class to be like, maybe the reason that, uh, you know, women do this thing more than men is like just because they're women. Um, but uh, but like nothing bad ever happened to me. I would just like make my point. People would get mad and that's kind of the end of it. And, you know, for quite a while, I was kind of freaked out about it. Like, what if something bad happens? And then um, I think I think it was maybe a post by, like, Razib Khan or something, just saying, like, he, he talked about how, you know, he'd always used his own name and uh, just been, like, proud to say what he, he says and, and not have to worry about it. And I said, yeah, you know, that's kind of who I'd rather be. Yeah. So after that, I was just like, okay, I'll use my own name on Twitter or whatever, and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll just try and... Uh, uh, you know, say what I think. And like, it's not like I had the most controversial opinions, the things I was saying. Sometimes, you know, like, like one time I was in a, a group meeting and um, the professor said, you know, I want us to do, what are they called? Positionality statements where, you know, at the top of our research work, we say, I'm a, you know, heterosis white male or whatever, and have this kind of privilege and don't understand this and that. And, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do that. Cause I like believe more in colorblindness. And, you know, that got like some pushback, but like for the most part, like if you're just, if you're afraid of saying, you know, there are two genders or basic things, like you should just know, like most people agree with you, I think. And if they oh, don't, don't agree with you, true. at least they yeah. kind of like respect yeah. you. And you I, don't know. Know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think it's different. I mean, you know, I think you were a grad student. I never got a faculty position. Um, I think it's different when you're trying to get a job because there's, you know, the, the market is very saturated. There's a lot of affirmative action and there's also affirmative action for uh, political views and there's, you know, subconscious bias and all these things. Um, and, you know, I think Eric Kaufman's work on like faculty, like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not fake conservative faculty feel discriminated against it. You know, I think it's, it's, it's right. Um, I'm not saying, I don't think it's fake. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm just asking like if you're in a class or you're in a situation. Yeah. I like, think if you're a class, if you're a much- student, your, How much your, pushback do you get for saying something really basic that most people believe? Like, no, but nobody ca- nobody cares. Most students don't care yeah. enough to like try to cancel. It. Now, somebody might, but even that is like it's like it's like being hit by lightning. It's like something that's very rare, and like somebody's not going to come after you. Now, academia, I think, is different from other things. Like, I, I yeah, I, I think that what you know, my you know, my uh, you know, even Stephen Pinker said, you know, don't uh, you know, just if you want to be in academia, just you know, don't say anything controversial until until you you know you get tenure. And I think I think that's right, but I think the advice should be, you know, don't go into academia. It's like the, it's like you if you want to have any freedom to say 
like the whole point, like the selling, okay, if you're going to academia, you're going to make less money than other fields. You're going to have worse job prospect than, you know, what somebody with your intelligence can do. You're not going to have control over like where you can live. You might be able to only get a job in like, you know, some university in the middle of nowhere. You might not be able to get a job in whatever city you want. Um, and you're going to have to study for a while. So there's a lot of disadvantages and the, and the advantage that has to make, there has to be an advantage that makes up for that. And that has to be like truth or like intellectual freedom or honesty. And if, if like academia is not even providing that, and it's like worse than other fields, um, then, you know, you should run away from academia. It's just, it's just very, very easy. And I, you know, if you, you know, we're talking mostly people in the social sciences, like, you know, I think most of good social science work, I don't think you need like, you know, giant labs and like millions of dollars worth of equipment you know, that's not how it works. If, if you're a, if you're a researcher and, you know, biotech, um, you know, maybe you still want to, maybe you want to go academia, maybe private sector, whatever. I mean, I, I don't have experience there, so don't take my advice on that or physics or, or, the, hard, or the hard sciences where you need sort of the institutional support. Um, but for the stuff I know, social sciences and generally, like, it's hard for me to see the, it's hard for me to see the advantage of academia unless your work is, and like, unless your work is so abstract and like has no connection to anything, but like, okay, I think if you went out there, so I look, I've looked at like things like history books, like the best selling history books these days are not by historians. Um, they're by, uh, you know, they're by, they're by basically journalists or people who are like professional uh, writers. And like, even if you wanted to study like world war one or world war two, which is like, you know, no corporation is going to hire you to do that. Um, you know, I think having a blog and just putting it there, you know, I think, you, I, you know, if you, I think, I think you can make a living doing that now. Um, it has to be specialized. Look at receipts. Look at Receive Substack. It's all about you know, uh, you know, ancient uh, ancient history and DNA through ancient, very you know, dense stuff. You would think there would be no audience for that, um, but there is. You know, Receive's doing great. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and if you want to start, you know, and so but so like yeah, if you want to do that, like you know, and you have something that's interesting enough that other people will pay attention to, they'll do it. Now, if you want to study like, you know, uh, like uh, you know, women you know, the history of women or the history of trans individuals and like the civil war or something like there's probably not going to be much of an audience for that. Uh, You might need academia to do that, but like, that's also like a sort of a stupid thing to study. And those people aren't listening to us now. So people who want to do that, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to go to academia anyway. You know, they're, they're not, they're not worried about the political bias because they, they they buy into um, what academics are selling. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I think it's important to find your niche if you can, right? And yeah. for a long time, the only place you could sort of find people studying those niche things would be like in academia, because uh, those are the only people getting any funding. And you know, in terms of even just getting library books and things like that, right? Like that wasn't necessarily super easy. Yeah. Right. Now with the internet, you know, Mechanical Turk, like you can do surveys really easily. Um, and, you know, there's also, I think, a cost to spending too much time in academia, just kind of doing the normal social science research, which is, I think, it also kind of warps your view of, like, what research is or should be. I mean, I still, in some sense, feel like I'm recovering from this, like, um, because it's like, when I think, okay, it's time to research something, like, all I just think about is, like, okay, how does X correlate with Y? How could I, you know, ask this in a survey form, and then put the data into R and, and, and get some, you know, kind of output? And uh, it's like, I didn't always used to think like that. I used to think much more in terms of like big picture questions and stuff. And honestly, like academics tell you very explicitly, like, don't do that. Don't think in terms of big picture. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, like I've heard PhD students use this analogy. They're like, well, what we do is we put one brick in the wall, right? Like that's, that's, that's what we're constantly doing is every day, you know, we get up, we, we, we run these stats and then like publish something. And that's, you know, one brick in the wall that's like building up this knowledge and, 
I mean, I'm not a historian of science or anything like that, but it just seems to me like most breakthroughs come from someone just like smashing through the wall and being like, actually, it's this. Yeah. And uh, whether they're right or not, like that is usually how like things actually progress and, and move forward. Um, yeah. You know, Freud is an example, yeah. like academic psychologists like did not like Freud at all. And he was just like, nope, sorry, I'm psychology now. Uh-huh. And then everyone just started yeah. using his ideas, uh, yeah. whether they're right or wrong, you know? Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I think they don't realize this, you know, if it was like, you know, it's a sort of like one way to look at this is it teaches intellectual humility. You know, you're just like it's not going beyond what the evidence says, but that's not how it operates. It's like they build a brick in the wall and they believe the wall. It's like a Lego set. And then they believe the they believe in the wall, even if they're like humble about their own research. I only like f- put this little brick in, but still the wall is something real. Right. And off, they don't get like how easy it is to build a fake wall, like how easy it is to build like a virtual wall that is like not based on anything, but it's just a bunch of people who think alike and are studying this question in the exact same way and right, mm-hmm. cutting corners in the exact same places and not using the best methodology. And you get a wall and it, 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 it's just, it, it, you know, you need somebody to come in and kick it over. So it's like the worst combination. It's like it's like humility, but it's like a fake humility. It's, it's like still devotion to like the narrative. Um uh, the narrative, you know, it just becomes strong and it can't be questioned because, you know, everyone is like, that's not your job. Your job is, you know, another brick in the wall. You know, that that's all it is. Yeah. And like, even, I mean, even when all the evidence points in like the opposite direction of the narrative, like it still doesn't matter. People still keep putting bricks in the wall. Yeah. I mean, like one of, one of, one of the most fundamental um, changes in my thinking about any topic was um, when I was in like my, I think, second or third year, I took a, a class in criminal psychology. And like before I took that class, I was very much like, you know, kind of defund the police. Like uh, we need to invest more in these programs and things well, like yeah, that. When was this? How old were you when this happened? I guess 19 or 20 or whatever. Or so it's like and, a freshman or sophomore year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like second or third year. Um, and anyway, so like I, you know, I took this criminal psychology class and like I would actually look at the studies and read them. And like almost all of the studies would just show that these things like these programs and stuff like don't work very well. And even when they did work well, you know, the... Um, the, the sample size would almost always be tiny. So like you didn't really know if it was actually good or not. And the follow-up would usually just be like six months, right? So it would be like, okay, like we have this treatment and it prevents recidivism rates in this population for like at least six months by like maybe 10% or something. And um, just tons and tons of research like piling up that just shows this. And so the conclusion that I came away from uh, from this class was, was just like, okay, like most of these programs don't work at all. Most of these things like don't seem to work. But that's not the conclusion that, like, I think most researchers take away from this stuff or or the students or the professors. They're like, no, you know, we're just slowly, slowly getting there. We're slowly figuring out, like, the best way to do this. And, uh, and you know, there's still value in all this stuff. It's just one brick in the wall at a time. Uh, even when I, at least from my perspective, the evidence just seemed to point to in the direction of, like, this stuff doesn't work. Like, why are, like, why do we care so much since all the evidence seems to point that it doesn't work? Well, it's because we want it to work. We'd like it to work. It sounds yeah. nice if it works. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is uh so yeah. I mean, do you have any like, you know, advice for people who are thinking about grad school or uh, in grad school or thinking about an academic career besides, you know, what we've said, which is, you know, pretty negative. Is there anything for the other side or is there anything you'd like to add? Well, I would say do what you have to do to get the job you want. So if there is some job that you really want, if you really need to, if you like want to work at the CIA, and you need like a master's degree in something political science or something to work there. Like, I don't know if that's true. 
Like, yeah. If that's the case, you know, like do what you have to do. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no reason. I would say if what you really care about is truth and you really want to understand people in society and stuff, like be academic, but like, don't, don't keep going. Like just spend, spend your time doing, you know, other stuff. And then like on the weekends, uh, you know, like read the articles you want to read and, and find people you can discuss them with. I mean, it's never been easier. And, you know, what you said at the beginning about just reaching out to people, like, that's totally true. I mean, I think part of the reason, you know, that we connected and, uh, you know, I've been a good fit is just like, I have very sort of similar interests to the kind of stuff CSBI does, like the political psychology stuff and the open science stuff um, and the institutional stuff. Like, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, you guys do niche stuff. Cool. Like that appeals to me. Uh, so if you have a certain niche, if you really like a specific kind of history or something, just, yeah, reach out to the people who do that stuff. Try and try and make friends with them. And also just like do your own, do your own research. I mean, it's, it's really like, I spend a lot of time taking online classes on Coursera and stuff, just like learning random skills. Like it's really, you can do it for free. It's not expensive. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, learn it's basic really stats, learn, learn basic. Yeah. Learn, you should learn like the equivalent of like a few, you know, graduate schools, uh, graduate, uh, you know, don't be intimidated by it. Graduate class in statistics, I think is very valuable. Um, you know, you just need it for, for basics, but yeah, the niche stuff is important because like academia, they, they box you in. So I was studying international relations and I've become, you know, I, I my, that work gets a lot of attention, but you know, the fact that I'm not in academia, I can spend a lot of time, you know, splitting between not just like things within academia. They want you to, you know, hyper special, like just across fields. Like I can talk about American politics. I can talk about, you know, uh, culture. Uh, I can talk about, you know, whatever social science, psychology, whatever, whatever I want basically. And, you know, you, you just, you're so, if you have broad interests, it's just really, really bad. I mean, academia just doesn't work. I mean, you have to have like very narrow interests. You have to sort of believe in the narrative and, you know, you have to, whatever narrative of the field and like, you know, that's sort of the only practical way for it to work. And, you know, we're not even talking about like the job prospects, which are, you know, absolutely terrible. Like as bad as you think they are, they're like, you know, they're much worse. <laughs> and so, you know, I think I just want to emphasize that too. You'll probably hear that from other places, but yeah, that's, uh, something you should keep in mind. Uh, so, anyways, so yeah, I just let's let's uh, spend the rest of the time, I guess, talking about CSPI and like what we've been doing. Um, so, can you talk about sort of you know? I'll, I'll leave it as you as the communications director. I'll I'll give you the job of sort of tooting our horn our horn a little bit and saying you know what are some of the more impressive things we've done this year. Sure. Um, well, I'd say that this year has been, you know, we've only been like operational for one year. I think you started November 30th, uh, Something like 2020, that, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And um, in that time, you know, I think sort of the, the mission has been, okay, how can we improve conversations on even just a few topics? How can we get people thinking in a way that's uh, interesting, novel, more rigorous, and, uh, and, and is different? Um, because, you know, there's all these issues people have to deal with now, like COVID or wokeness or uh, you know, just the fact that society seems to be kind of falling apart. Uh, you know, we've got a whole fake class of experts and people who think they, they know a lot because they studied a lot who like have no idea what they're doing. And um, it just sort of seems like a lot of the old kind of traditional ways of thinking about the stuff like have not been super fruitful. Um, because like, you know, with a lot of the issues, it just seems to be like the only thing people can do is say, okay, I guess this is as good as it gets. And, uh, you know, Maybe they'll they'll write about it on Twitter or something, but people don't actually feel like there's any levers they can pull, uh, any things they can do, any changes they can make. Um, and, uh, you know, with regards to things like you were saying earlier, like conservative discrimination in academia or whether, uh, you know, uh, COVID interventions work and things like that, 
there also, I think, just hasn't necessarily been a great space for people to do like high quality research that focuses on those topics. Um, just because like that stuff is, uh, you know, probably not like necessarily funded that well in academia. But then even outside of academia, you know, it tends to when people research those things, like it's not always respectable, you know, it's not always done in an institution or a place where we can kind of slap a pretty bow on it and say, it's okay for you to cite this in your, uh, your New York Times article or something. Um, so I think we sort of fulfilled like the dual function there where on the one hand, we're sort of giving people new ways to think about these issues. And at the same time, we're doing it in a way that's high quality, that's professional, that's sort of methodologically rigorous and sound. Uh, and so that, you know, it is something you can sort of share with people uh, or it is something that people want to talk and write about, um, even in mainstream publications, which is great. Yeah, I think that I think that's important. I think it's important to be able to sort of, uh, you know, appeal to a broad audience. You can write anti, you know, lockdown stuff, for example, um, like Philippe Lemoine has done or anti uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions, and you can get cited by people who already dislike non-pharmaceutical interventions. That's easy. It's actually not that easy because they actually have a lot of people who are, you know, always you have a lot of people saying what people want to believe. So even to rise to the top, you know, of what one sect of the population, uh, you often have to be, you know, you have to have to have some quality to your work. Um, but to, you know, reach out to people who don't necessarily dis, uh, agree with you, people who are just sort of open-minded journal, open journalists or, you know, people who are, uh, you know, or, or people who are liberal, I think, you know, a lot of it is just, is just sort of merit. I mean, if the work is compelling and it's impressive, you know, Philippe's work on lockdowns is, is just really, really compelling. And I think mm -hmm. smart people uh, see that. And then like, not everyone is like, you know, uh, you know, can look at statistics look at statistics and at, look at statistical analysis, but some people can, and those people can do it, which can give other people permission to cite it. Like Andrew uh, Gelman, who's a famous statistician at Columbia, you know, he cited our work and, you know, so he's somebody people, uh, people take, uh, uh, people take seriously on anything having to do with statistics or data analysis. And sort of that gives other people permission to, to cite this. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's, you know, that, that's, that's key. Now, sometimes having academic credentials helps, and, you know, it's like, what it does is it helps you, you know, get your foot in the door. People say this is not an, not an idiot. Um, and then you, so you have, but you have like public intellectuals who are, you know, are there a lot of public intellectuals who have no, you know, who have no um, credentials? And yeah, there, you know, there are like some of them are like, you think, think of somebody like, you know, Andrew Sullivan, people who've been in like journalism, I guess that's, you know, they, 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 work their way up in a different field. Um, but then like people like on Substack, like, you know, uh, like, you know, Scott Alexander or like, you know, Michael Tracy, who I don't think came up in any institutions at all. I don't, you know, I'm pretty sure Scott Alexander didn't. I don't think, I don't think Michael Tracy ever worked for, did he ever work for a real institution? I, I don't know. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, e it's easier today. You know, it's like, you don't, you know, the cred credential unquestionably helps. Is it like worth like going five, 10 years to get a credential so you can uh, speak to people much less, you know, 20 or 30 years to become a tenure professor? Is that the best use of your time? Yeah. If you could snap your fingers and get it, uh, sure. Uh, but you know, the, the more direct way I think to have an influence is just to do high quality work, right? Not a lot of, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not, um, like talent is like, you know, pretty scarce. Like the, the number of people, you know, CSPI, we funded a lot of work and I think our, you know, the, the bottleneck is not, um, is not, uh, you know, it is not like, um, you know, somebody canceling us or like somebody not letting us in the door, it, you know, the, the, or the, uh, or the ability to fund good work. It's the, the bottleneck is talent. Like who is actually at the level of Kaufman? Who's at, uh, at the level of uh, Philippe? 
uh, who can do work as you know that I think I could do. Um, there's just not tons and tons of people like that, and some people can, and they're like you know they're they're scared of their own shadow, and they they, they you know they don't want to do anything because they're afraid of being canceled or someone not liking them or whatever. So to have that talent, to have that work ethic, uh, one thing that some you know these people who have rare talents one thing you want to do is you want to make it profitable make them able to earn a living doing this stuff because there's an opportunity cost you know the smarter and more talented you are uh you know the more uh, you can earn doing something else so something csbi does obviously is just provide financial support that's that's very important and people who are uh listening to this you know if you can provide you know, if you want to um if you like what we're doing, if you want to provide, if you want to uh, provide funding, we always, you know, looking for more, and we will be, you know, careful uh, stewards and guardians of that money because we want we want to support just the highest quality work possible. We're always, you know, we we're, we have a uh, I think a reputation to maintain. I think we have a stat we have a standard to maintain, um, and you know, there's just so much good work that's been done this year. Um, can you talk a little bit about can you can you talk a little bit about like sort of the um, yeah? Let's talk about you know project by project. So Kaufman's um, work on uh, political discrimination in academia that was cited at the, by the people uh, who were starting the University of Austin, now Ferguson, and um, and uh, um, you know others who were involved with the uh, with, with it. I mean, it was basically cited in every conservative publication. It was cited in you know pretty much every intellectual dark web publication. And I think what it did was it showed that you know you have these things about you know you have these um, surveys of like academics and like what they think but really just bringing to the surface the political discrimination and from the conservative side which i think is, is a very unique com- uh uh contribution that anyone hadn't done before um and then you have the um uh, you have, you know, Philippe's stuff on lockdowns, which has been cited in, you know, the New Yorker has been uh, talked about at Scott Alexander's blog. I think, I think it's really, you know, I, I cite it now for sort of the, uh, you know, the, the um, text, you know, the, the sort of, uh, I think it should be the canonical case against non-pharmaceutical interventions. They probably, you know, they probably don't work much if they do work and, you know, they, uh, uh, and they're not worth it. You know, that, that's the thing. Like anything besides vaccines is probably not worth it. Almost anything. I mean, the, the, the major stuff that people talk about possibly doing. Um, and then, yeah, my work on wokeness. I mean, I've seen conservatives talk about wokeness as a, as a legal issue, which, you know, this is something that's frustrated me for years. They would talk about it as something that just like was in the air. It was like complaining about the rain or complaining about, you know, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the earth revolving around the sun. It just made, it just gave you no hope or no ability to think you could ever change it. And I, you know, I just was able to say, no, look, there's, you know, there's a, there's cause and effect. You know, there, there, there's things that government do and things that government can undo. Um, and, you know, there's a way that government can help, like, shepherd us or encourage a saner culture, even if government can't get us all the way there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've done a lot on, a, on, you know, many different fronts this year. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we keep doing it next year. Um, and, yeah, do you have any, I mean, do you have any thoughts or anything you'd like to add to that, Jonah? Sure. Um, what else have we done? I think uh, Leaf's work uh, on yeah, the uh, was great funding was pretty, was pretty big and uh, could probably be getting even more attention. I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, interesting um, stuff there. And uh, yeah, I, w- I, w- I, would, I would say like there's, um, you know, there's, there's even people we sort of got on the roster who just like, uh, you know, we've, we've, I think we've gotten a little bit of, uh, out of them, but not as much as we could, you know, like uh, Zach Goldberg. Um, yeah, he's like, finishing he's up his, his dissertation. Yeah, we'll see more of his PhD, right? Yeah. And uh, he's got like I think he said he had, like 500 pages of, of of research in his PhD or something like that. Um, you know, um, I think what's been really 
a valuable just again is like to have this high quality stuff. Um, but then like it's, it's presented in a way that's nice. Uh, you know, like it's easy to, it's easy to read, um, for the most part, we've got, you know, compelling graphics and, and things like that. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's being taken seriously. Like the thing is like, we're serious people. We can joke around a bit or t- on Twitter or whatever, but you know, we're serious people, uh, doing serious kind of science and, and, and theory. And I think, you know, people pick up on, on that vibe that it's not just, you know, some, some bloggers or something, even though maybe that's, you know, closer to what, uh, uh, where we, where we come from or whatever. Um, but you know, it's the center for the study of partisanship and ideology, you know, the center. A serious name. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's as simple as that, you know, when, when people, uh, when people cite us like in articles and stuff, they often say the center for the study of partisanship and ideology. Um, you know, when, uh, when, when people talk about, um, you know, Kaufman's work on like the Hill or something, or on podcast, you know, the report from the center for, you know, even yeah. just being able to say that, being able to say like, we're a real legit think tank yeah. and, uh, and that kind of thing. I think just, it brings like the research, which is already great, just like up another level. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Organization, organization, yeah, organization, you know, marketing, I, you know, I think, yeah, you have to, you know, signaling is a lot of like signaling sometimes gets a bad rap because education is just sort of signaling, but it's, it's like a waste of time because you're wasting so much time to use, you know, to prove that you're better than someone else where there, there's probably more efficient and, you know, easier ways to do it. Uh, but you know, things like having nice graphics, having, you know, like all your stuff be grammatical, presented in a nice format. That's a signal, but it's, it's a, um, it should be, you know, it should be a signal. You, you should like take people seriously based on how seriously they take themselves and how much they go out of their way to sort of present it to you. Now you can, I think there's a balance you can, uh, there's a balance to maintain because like academics spend all their time, like getting the citations exactly right. And like having that formatted and like speaking, you know, even like, you know, the, the, the way I've, you know, the way I speak is different from an academic. Like, you know, I, I always feel like they are talking in a way they think a serious person should talk. And mm-hmm. that's like, I do too, but it's like, I, I'm trying to direct people more to the ideas than, you know, just impressed with my ability to get off the top of my head, you know, speaking, speaking complete paragraphs. I mean, when I write, you know, it's a different, it's a different story, but like presentation, as far as like speaking, you know, I, I think whatever you're doing that it's sort of fake because you, you're really not thinking it's impossible to, it's impossible to, I think it's impossible to express ideas, you know, well, and in sort of paragraph text form while you're speaking, you can do it, but I think you focus so much energy on the presentation that unless you're like you know as, as you're 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 a very rare genius, you are sort of skimping on the quality of the ideas. So like I think when I speak, it's a lot of false starts, a lot of I don't know, it's a lot of oh I take that back, forget it, that's 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 wrong because I my brain is trying to focus on substance. It's not necessarily focusing on um, it's not focusing on the presentation, which I think looks bad. Although the writing, I think the presentation is is much better. I think I I think it's uh, it depends on you know sort of. I don't think I speak my presentation is like works in like a conventional academic environment. But I think that's a problem with the environment. You know, I don't think that's a problem with uh, with me or the way I talk. Um, well, well, I also think it's authentic. I mean, that's a really overused word nowadays. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who who do research or or writing and things like that who can come off as really fake. Yeah. And just being able to show like, you know, okay, I'm just a normal person who's got some good ideas and uh, I'm just doing what I can, speaking how I can. I, you know, there's something compelling about that. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's right. And when it's combined with, you know, careful thinking when, and, you know, when, when it's called for, when it's necessary to, to get into a topic or to make an argument, I think that's, yeah, that's important. So, yeah. I, I, 
I also think like CSPI, um, I, I'd be curious if other people disagree or, or what they think, but I think, you know, you kind of also popped up at a, at a good moment, which is sort of like at a moment where it kind of felt like the intellectual dark web, you know, in its, in its best sort of incarnation, it kind of fallen apart. Yeah. And it's funny. Sort of the, yeah. The, the, the myth of kind of like the classical liberal, truly neutral center, I think is people are sort of seeing that that's not there. That's and a very good point. Yeah. I, I think you kind of, and, and everything we've sort of done, I think it's almost like, I, I don't know, I haven't thought enough about it to sort of say there's like a split, but if there is a split, I would say the split is between people who think the woke craziness stuff is like evil and the people who think it's stupid. And I'm not saying you can't think it's stupid and evil, but like, you know, the people who are like, this is like the, yeah. the worst thing ever. These people are demons versus people like, this is like a bunch of incompetent you know, yeah, crazy yeah. people who are over-credentialized and like don't know what they're doing. And I think that sort of IDW split, um, you know, is, is maybe part of why there's been sort of a good audience because I think people, a lot of people who've been following these debates for a while sort of felt like a bit let down uh, after that split. And they were like, sort of like, I don't know, do I go towards the evil? Uh, the wokeness is evil. These people are evil. Or do I like try and look for people who are trying to make sense of this and trying to figure out, okay, like, what can we actually do about it? You know, what's the yeah. practical solution? Well, it's interesting because there's another split too within the evil group of the people who think that wokeness is evil. There's people who've gone crazy and people who have not gone crazy, right? So there's the people who, are, you know, the people who have become like skeptical of vaccines and just like, you know, just, just crazy, like into conspiracy theories and all this stuff. So you have that too. And so I think, you know, we're, you know, if we're, if we have any, Thing in common with some of the intellectual. I think we have a little bit in common, not necessarily a lot. I think I probably have more in common. You know, maybe, I don't know what to say more in common. I have a lot in common with just American conservatism, American libertarianism. I mean, I, I don't think I needed an intellectual dark web. I think I, I think I already had a sort of a political faction that was, you know, probably, you know, I had problems with, but was close enough to sort of uh, what I, what I believed. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're going to say like where we are, we're, we're, you know, where I am at least, and I think a lot of people around us are, is that yes, wokeness is evil, but we're not going crazy with partisanship. We're not going crazy with, you know, but that doesn't mean there's no, like, you know, then, then the people who think it's stupid, you know, they have this, there's also, you know, there's, there's also like this, uh, hesitancy to do anything about it. Just this, you know, idea that like it would be illiberal or fascist to like do anything, like even stop the government from doing, you know, woke stuff, which is crazy. I think Andrew Sullivan is an interesting case because he thinks wokeness is evil. I, I talked about one of his uh, pieces in my Substack where he's like, oh, this is evil, this is the end of civilization, and then like comes out against critical race theory bans. It's like, wait a minute, like you have public schools and they're teaching things that are literally evil and literally going to destroy civilization. And then you're going to say, well, you know, we're, we're liberal. We can't do anything about it. It's like, it's like, no, like there's government schools and government schools, you know, teach a curriculum set by the government. Like, why are you so hesitant to you know, do anything. So he, he's, you know, there's, there's all these different flavors of this, but you're right. The, uh, the sort of idea that there was just this intellectual, there, there was these like people who opposed wokeness and that was like enough. They, that gave them enough in common to hold together. Like that's, that's gone. Like yeah. you need something more than that because I'll, like all 99.9% of humans in history opposed wokeness. Everyone from like Islamic extremists to the Chinese to like Russians to libertarians. So there, there's nothing that will, there's nothing to hold you there. It's just, it's just there's a very strange, um, there's just this very strange sort of dominant cultural paradigm. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to oppose it. Just opposition to it is enough, in and of itself is, is not practical. Um, because, you know, you, you have to fight something with something and it's not going to hold any kind of, you know, coalition or intellectual movement together.
Yeah, and I think what you're saying is like you have to do something. People, I, people want someone to do something, right? Like if you've been following these kind of debates long enough, you know, and also if you look into the history of like how long these debates have been going on, which is, I think, longer than people realize or think, right? It's, and that kind of blends more. Into yeah, the man. So 1960s, the, the police stuff, like, you know, just the fact that, you know, poli- uh, you know, the inner cities, there'd be riots, like some criminal, like gets shot by the police or killed by police, and then, then there's riots and then liberals are saying, oh, it's lack of opportunities. That is old, man. That's 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 three generations now. That is, you know, America's been doing that since, you know, uh, you know, uh, the nineteen the nineteen sixties, and then, and then the test, you know, being racist or sex, you know, sexist or whatever. That's always been there. That's been there since the sixties too. I mean, that 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 is that's the nineteen that's the nineteen sixties. We're we're still we're still living in that world, um, and you know, you could write you could write a thousand more essays on it. Um, we'll be right. We'll be in the same place in another sixty years. I mean, writing more essays or just talking about it is not going to. It's not going to do anything. Yeah, people, I think, are hungry for some kind of solution or at least an exit. Right? People are thinking, okay, okay is there something we can do about this? And if there isn't, is there some place I can go work, or is there some place? Yeah, I can go is work? there some kind of parallel? You know, yeah. yeah, institutions or economic structures or schools or whatever that people. And the conservative movement to the, in the U.S. has done that to a certain extent. I mean, school choice movement and homeschooling and private schools and, uh, you know, things like that, you know, and then there, there's all kinds of options with people with, you know, with money. They have, you know, gated communities and stuff. But, you know, you want to you want to provide that option to to more people, given how bad sort of government and established institutions are, especially in the U.S. You know, this probably applies a little less to other places, but also applies to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, the conservative movement, right, has been good historically at having this parallelism, uh, you know, where, okay, they have academia, so we do the think tanks, right? They have this, we do that. And um, yeah, that's good. I think sort of what makes us different is sort of like, uh, we do have that sort of parallel thing, although I'd say like, in terms of, you know, officially, we're a little bit more nonpartisan. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not, yeah, we're, we're not... Yeah, interested in sort of the, you know the the paradigm of American politics. It's more yeah. you know it's more sort of status quo critical, you know, critical of sort of the status quo and it's critical of expertise and these sort of bad ideas, which you know are more associated with the left. But you know, it's not like you know we just say oh conservative principles are are going to save us for that. I mean, it requires you know careful thinking and you know a, you know institution building and not just like you know slogans or. Uh, or uh, you know some prepackaged solution, right? There's just there's just a lot of thinking and work to be done on on these you know these problems we see in society. Yeah, and I think I think the main thing what's important is to give uh, people a sense of hope about some of the stuff. Like I think the conservative movement is, uh, or, or right wing stuff in general is like often extremely pessimistic, and that's kind of I think part of maybe yeah. why people get interested in it because they're pessimistic. Um, but people kind of want to think or, 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 or want to believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, for a long time, there's just been like nobody really who's providing that. It's just like, okay, here's how, uh, you know, everything is screwed up and, and all these problems. And can we actually do anything to fix it? Like, no, yeah. you know, you just let, you just let this stuff run through the institutions. Yeah. I think one thing that we have to realize though, is a lot of the, you know, right wing sort of media and, you know, media in general, but a lot, they're doing something different from what other people are doing. They're to their entertainment. So it's like, oh, you know, Saturday Night Live doesn't have a solution to like our problems that it critiques. Like, oh, of course. Like, oh, yeah, Hannity doesn't have yeah. a solution. Yeah, like, okay, like, yeah, he's Hannity. He's, he's, he's entertaining you. He's making a lot of money and, and reaching millions of people. And so, you know, those people who, you know, are, are like following these popular figures, they're not, you know, they're not, uh, 
uh, you know, they're, they're, they're maybe not necessarily our audience, you know, our audience is a little bit, you know, more, you know, the polite way to say it, this is educated, you know, the, the way I like to say it is, is higher IQ, um, and people who are a little more serious. I mean, I don't think, I don't think we have to hide behind euphemism, like education is the difference though, it's intelligence and it's actually caring. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we're aiming for. And there's just, there's not a lot of people doing that because well, partly because there's, there's more of an audience out there for, um, you know, for just, you know, carnival barkers or just for, you know, uh, infotainment, you know, there's, there's just, there's, there will always be a bigger audience for that, but it doesn't mean that there's no audience for the smart stuff, right? It's a smaller yeah. audience, but it's not saturated yet. Um, no, and and I think, I, I think also by, by, by focusing on the smart stuff too, you know, it's like you said, you've also managed to have a broader audience than like just conservatives, uh, you know, or just X I D W people, whatever, like, uh, you know, New York Times, like the Atlantic, like the, like even if it is maybe the more conservative columnists in those um, in those places who cite us, uh, you know, it's like people are, are going to read that, and the legitimacy is very important. I think uh, yeah. expanding the audience as well. I think that's right. I think yeah, noticing that, noting knowing that there are honest and sort of smart people on all sides that are worth communicating with. I mean, I think that's something you know we we shouldn't forget. So. Yeah. Okay. I think that, I think that's, I think it's been a good conversation. I think this, you know, sort of peels back the layers, uh, yeah, peel back, peel back the onion. Is that, is that, is that the right way to say peel back the onion? Is that what you would say here? I don't know. If you're, if you're yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, oftentimes yeah. If you're crying, but. We're crying. We're peeled back that. Okay. Whatever. We've given people a little bit of sort of an insight into how we think about CSPI, you know, sort of what the vision is, what we're trying to do as, uh, as well as giving sort of Jonah's, uh, um, you know, giving your experience in academia and a little bit about mine too. So, yeah, is there anything you know you'd like to say before before we wrap up? Is there you know any New Year's resolution you have or anything intellectually you're working on you want to, you want to plug or you know anything else? The floor is yours. Sure. Um, well, in terms of sort of my next project, uh, the next thing I want to do is actually like write a report on mental health and just like looking at the public policy stuff and a lot of the empirical literature. And just kind of try and like make the point that I think I made closer to the beginning, which is like a lot of this stuff just really isn't what people think it is. And, uh, you know, the mental health sort of industry is also, I think, one of those industries that's like continuously growing and increasing and has like more and more power, even if we don't necessarily realize that. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't really seen a lot of people like write about that critically uh, from a scientific perspective, but also maybe from like a policy perspective, like, um, you know, just 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 to give an example, like there's no evidence that therapists who are more educated are better therapists. And yet like tons and tons of places have strict regulations that, you know, your therapist has to have at least a master's degree or something. So if if the goal is actually to help people through therapy, like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, And you know, there's just tons of stuff like that. Um, So that's what I probably going to work on next. Um, Anything else? Yeah. I, I would just say, if you like the stuff we're doing at CSPI, you know, if you've really enjoyed the articles and the research, um, then please consider uh, doing three things. The first is like to, you know, rate and review our podcast, which is um, really important just to get us in the rankings and to get more people seeing us. Um, and then the second thing you could do is you could subscribe to our Substack If you haven't done that, you can subscribe um, for free or also for like 10 bucks a month. Um, and then if you really like what, are doing, uh, what we're doing and you really think like that we are providing a lot of value, then think about maybe um, donating some money because the truth is like the money is, is going to go to research. It's going to go to cool stuff and it's going to go to cool people uh, who are, who are like 
producing really, really great work. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just saying that cause I'm, I'm so happy, you know, to, to be working, uh, with CSPI and to like be even helping just a little bit on all these projects. It's been really awesome and, uh, looking forward to what we got, uh, you know, in the years ahead, it's going to be great. Yeah. We're, we're, we're glad to have you, John. All right. It's been great talking. Thanks a lot. All right. No problem. Take care.